Hi, I'm Kevin Giovanoni, neurologist at uh, Bath and London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And I'm putting out an MSLFE podcast and newsletter out of uh, pure frustration. For those of you who uh, live and work in the United Kingdom, you would have seen an announcement by the British government a week ago that to deal with the shortage of general practitioners, family doctors, and the difficulty of getting uh, appointments, they're going to allow uh, pharmacists to uh, deal with certain medical problems uh, in the community and, and prevent those uh, patients going to see their GP. And one of the conditions on the list is a sore throat. So pharmacists are going to now be allowed to um, diagnose and treat sore throats, in other words, give antibiotics uh, and prevent uh, all these unnecessary appointments at the general practitioner. Now, for me, this is a problem because I've been wanting to study uh, infectious mononucleosis, uh, which is due to Epstein-Barr virus. This is the symptomatic infection for uh, several years now. And the problem we have is that the management of infectious mononucleosis is incredibly fragmented um, because most of the patients would present with a sore throat. Uh, and so we would expect family doctors uh, to see and diagnose them, but it doesn't happen anymore. Particularly post-COVID, most general practitioners are seeing their patients still remotely. And we have a whole burgeoning uh, remote uh, with the, uh, GP practices now. These are called GP in hand. My daughters, for example, belong to GP in hand, and they see their general practitioners via a mobile phone. And one of my daughters actually had a sore throat uh, a little while back, and she just had to hold the camera up so the GP could see her sore throat, and then the GP arranged for antibiotics to be prescribed. So we're not even getting hands-on consultations anymore. It's been done remotely, and now it's going to be even more fragmented uh, into pharmacists. Other people that manage it would be maybe A&E doctors uh, in casualty, for example. Uh, and occasionally, when patients are really ill, they come onto the wards and general physicians and infectious disease experts, uh, CIM. So the number of uh, uh, people seeing uh, patients with IM is very fragmented, so there is no common pathway. And therefore, if we want to study infectious mononucleosis, it's, it's difficult to get hold of these patients. Now, my backstory to this is I have been a proponent of Epstein-Barr virus, which causes infectious mono, um, been a cause of MS for decades now, you know, and I've, I've always stuck to my guns, you know, despite the MS community being very, very skeptical. And I've been wanting to research EBV as a cause of MS for over 20 years. Uh, I think I think it's about 25 years since I put my first grant application in around EBV and IM and MS. <laughs> um, one of the problems we've had over the last few decades is that it's been very difficult to get uh, grant funding. Uh, I did get one MRC grant, and most of my grant funding has been from charitable sources or crowdfunding around it. I'm hoping this change is changing. Uh, the reason why I'm saying that is because the recent epidemiological evidence strengthening the link between EBV being the cause of MS and MS is uh, increasing. And so I hope funding agencies will now take this into account and the peer reviewers who peer review these grants will uh, finally give the grants good scores and allow proper research to happen. 
But anyway, many of the hypotheses I want to test around the prevention of MS involve upstream events that occur during acute EBV infection or IM. Uh, and so uh, we need to study what happens in IM to get an idea of how EBV causes MS. <clears throat> At the moment, we don't know how EBV causes MS, uh, but we do know that people who have symptomatic infection with the virus, in, in other words, infectious mononucleosis, have a much higher risk of getting MS than people who have asymptomatic or acquire the infection you know, early in life when they don't get IM. Um, and I think one of the reasons why people develop MS is because when you have infectious mononucleosis, there's this exuberant immune response that is quite dysfunctional um, that occurs and I think that sets the substrate or the environment that triggers autoimmunity in the future and it may be via molecular mimicry uh, it may be by enhanced b-cell survival or it may cause dysregulated immune responses but whatever happens during IM I think is really important to study because that'll there may be a fingerprint print there that tells us who's going to go on to develop secondary autoimmunity in the future now, I put grants in uh, back in 2015, 2017, and uh, more recently last year to try and set up a diagnostic and management pathway to be able to, first of all, find and study people I am. Um, and I have had all three of these grants rejected, and I wonder if it's because I am a neurologist and who wants to fund a neurologist uh, studying an infectious disease like infectious mononucleosis. I'm hoping I'm wrong. But sorting out uh, infectious mononucleosis is going to require a, a change in the way we practice. And I think COVID-19 has set the scene for that because what happened during COVID-19, a parallel pathway for managing an infectious disease, a respiratory tract infection was set up that took it away from GPs. So patients could self-refer using home diagnostics and get antivirals, for example, and the home diagnostics was either using lateral flow or even posted PCR tests. So can we use this opportunity of uh, setting up like a COVID-like service for diagnosing sore throats that will allow us to manage it appropriately? And I say manage it appropriately because when we were putting our grant application in back in 2015, we did an audit in our hospital of all the cases that were diagnosed with infectious mononucleosis via our Department of Virology. And we found that of, of 63 subjects, you know, 60% had inappropriately been given uh, antibiotics. Now, the reason why they were given antibiotics, not because the A&E doctors who saw them necessarily thought they had um, uh, a bacterial infection, but they couldn't take a chance because the serology test looking for antibodies against EBV takes about 48 hours to 72 hours to come back. And, you know, if you've got a streptococcal or a bacterial sore throat, you know, you know, two to three days without antibiotics is a long time because these people are quite ill. So what they would do is they would obviously send the serology off, the antibody testing for EBV, but just in case they had a bacterial infection, prescribe antibiotics. So they were covering themselves. And this is not the right way to practice because if somebody's got EBV causing their sore throat, they shouldn't be given antibiotics. They should be given an antiviral or at least put into a trial to test an antiviral. So what we want to do is set up a rapid diagnostic pathway with uh, a newly invented EBV lateral flow test. This is a molecular test for EBV, the DNA, uh, or, or a PCR test, uh, and get the result back within a day, so within 24 hours, 
and then we could tell the patient that they either got infectious mono or they got another cause of their sore throat, be it bacterial that needs antibiotics or another virus that doesn't need antibiotics. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm pushing for this is because I'm convinced that if we can treat IM with antivirals, in other words, stop the EBV replicating, in other words, going through lytic infection, we may stop that exuberant immune response and stop the uh, field or the environment being set for later autoimmunity. That's the hypothesis. And the only way we can test this is by creating treatments for infectious mono. <clears throat> and um, I think it will revolutionize the management of uh, acute sore throats or pharyngitis in general practice. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the reasons for doing this are very compelling. And I like to think of this as a win-win-win situation. GPs win in the sense that the pathway will free them up so they don't have to see people with sore throats. We will look after them. Patients will win because they'll get diagnosed and treated properly. <clears throat> uh, and obviously, obviously, there's the promise potentially of less post-viral uh, or chronic fatigue uh, and potentially then a lower risk downstream of getting MS or other autoimmune diseases. And potentially, it'll even reduce the risk of people getting EBV-associated cancers. You know, some of the cancers, particularly uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, where about half of them are linked to EBV, is linked to IM as well. So there's potential benefits for this across uh, all the stakeholders. And even the NHS may win because one of the things the NHS would like us to do is use less, in, less antibiotics because it creates resistance, for example. And, you know, if we, if we had this working very rapidly, it'll also be, almost certainly improve patient outcomes and maybe even reduce unnecessary healthcare utilization. In other words, uh, patients coming back for, for further assessments for antibiotics, for example. Um, so I think the case for creating a rapid, uh, uh, what I would call acute sore throat or pharyngitis diagnostic pathway based on what happened in COVID-19 is a no-brainer. It should be done. Uh, from a personal perspective, I think our, res our research group will also win because if we had the necessary clinical infrastructure, in other words, we had a, f a flow of IM patients, people IM coming through all the time, we would be able to apply for additional grants um, and also potentially get pharmaceutical companies interested in, in investing in our service because they can do clinical trials or, or come with their antiviral drugs. Now, I think what is kind of like creating some of the inertia is that there's this attitude uh, in the medical literature and it persists to this day that IM is a self-limiting benign disease when it clearly is not. I mean, it may be self-limiting in the majority of people, but there is a significant minority, and I'm talking about a third, maybe even more, who get quite severe post-viral fatigue and some of them get chronic fatigue syndrome. And then there's the rare uh, complications of having IM. You know, sometimes you get upper, upper airway obstruction from the tonsils uh, and the swelling in the back of the throat causing breathing problems. Um, people get ruptured spleens, they get hepatitis, and then there's lots of other complications that are rarer, uh, which often prompts these patients to be admitted to hospital. Um, and so, and also, if you look at uh, uh, NHS figures, we've done this. There's a significant number of people get admitted to hospital because of these complications. So, having an effective treatment may prevent unnecessary hospital admissions. And there is sadly a small number of people who die from infectious mono, and hopefully, by treating it, you'll be able to prevent that from happening. 
So uh, I personally think there is an overwhelming and compelling reason to, first of all, diagnose and treat and, uh, and prevent IM. Um, and this is one of the reasons why an EBV vaccine has been developed by several companies now to try and uh, prevent infectious mono and the downstream complications. Uh, and also maybe developing an antiviral for EBV and treating infectious mono will also uh, 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 prevent uh, MS and the other associated autoimmune diseases. So if anybody out there wants to help, um, we need funding and we need grants uh, to shift the direction of our EBV research towards IM. And I'm making a plea to anybody who's politically connected, if you can affect funding agencies to try and put out calls for this. Um, you know, if you are uh, in the position to give grants, we would welcome them. And I'm talking also to the pharmaceutical industry. Um, if you've got a social responsibility uh, program, you know, is there any chance of you investing or, or helping us set up the service? And uh, this includes uh, pharmaceutical companies with uh, diagnostic divisions or diagnostic companies. You know, what we would also like is a, uh, a race uh, to develop uh, rapid diagnostics for EBV. Uh, which could become the bedrock for this rapid diagnostic uh, pathway. You know, wouldn't we? Wouldn't it be nice to have a point of care diagnostic test, uh, like a lateral flow test, uh, you know, or point of care PCR that can be done literally within 15 to 30 or 45 minutes, and the decision around what the patient's got can be made there and there, for example. So. Um, um, I've raised a lot of issues, and some people may criticize me for putting this up on an MS selfie, but I think if you have a multiple sclerosis, you have an interest in preventing MS. You know, most people with multiple sclerosis will have siblings or children um, uh, and would also just have an altruistic interest in, pre in preventing MS simply because they don't want future generations to develop multiple sclerosis. So I think we as an MS community should all be engaged in research that tries to prevent the disease. Anyway, uh, listen to this. If you listen to this uh, podcast, please spread the word. Uh, you can forward on the email if it came to you via email. Leave some comments. Let's have a discussion around this. And uh, hopefully we get funding. And for those of you on pain subscribers, I please want to nudge you towards becoming a pain subscriber. You know, the more people that pay, the more income we have to support the uh, MSLF initiative, including the uh, microsite that's up and running uh, and is in development. It will evolve over time uh, so people can come to a curated site and find information in an easy to find uh, with, with a format rather than you know, having to go through uh, the MS Selfie website where the information is not necessarily curated. So, so thank you.